My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and it's really good to see all you here this morning and to be in the presence of God. Uh, we're in the book of Luke, have been for quite some time, probably will be for quite some time. This is what we do here at Woodland Hills Church. We just study the Bible. Nothing fancy, not aiming at entertainment. We're just trying to get a hold of the meat and, and apply it to our lives. Uh, so we're in Luke chapter 13, and we're going to take a, another stab at a, some passages that we read last week. Uh, and look at it from a little different angle. The topic of this, this morning's message is, I think, so important and so often uh, overlooked and very frequently misunderstood. It's one that's really passionate, I'm really passionate about. Um, and so I'm entitling this message, The Evil of Religion. The Evil of Religion. And um, it sometimes ruffles feathers, which is really unusual for our church, really is. But... Um, <laughs> Hear this one out. We're looking at Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10. It says, On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days. So crying out loud, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered, You hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Of course you do. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. When he, said, when he had said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Pray with me here for a moment. Lord, set the captives free. Many of us, God, need to be set free, but we don't know it. We need to be set free from the bondage of religion. And set free to live the free and full and God-glorifying life of the kingdom. So, Lord, open up our eyes this morning and our minds and use this word to build your kingdom. Lord, my words can't do it. Uh, so we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would take my words and use them to transform us and free us and liberate us. For all the people in this congregation who are here listening, for all those who are going to be listening through podcasting or television, Lord, just open up our eyes ears, open up our eyes, open up our minds, and set the captives free from the diabolical bondage of religion. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, last week, we looked at the first part of this passage, and we just noted there that this woman's uh, infirmity, she was severely deformed, bent over, uh, that was, Jesus says, of demonic origin. And that is the case for all of Jesus' miracles whenever he confronts infirmities, diseases. Uh, their diagnosis being at least indirectly the result of this world being under a diabolical, satanic oppression. A lot of people today think that everything that happens comes from God. It's all part of God's will. But the New Testament consistently diagnoses things like diseases, sickness, infirmities, disasters as being the result of wills that are not of God, the result of this world being oppressed. And then we noted how Jesus just spoke the word, be free, and this woman was free. He didn't ask God to heal her, he just spoke the word. 
And the reason is because, as we said last week, God had given Jesus the authority to do that, so Jesus just used that authority. And that authority we saw last week is the same authority that God originally gave human beings before we went into rebellion back in our primordial past. We'd have dominion over all things. And what Jesus is doing here is recovering that original authority. That authority is located largely, not exclusively, but largely in how we use our words. Authority is the ability to release power through words. And so Jesus speaks and it is done. And so we noted how we have to pay close attention to how we speak. James says that the the tongue is the rudder of a ship. Uh, It steers the direction of a ship. And so also, the direction of the ship of your life will be largely decided by how you use words, how you speak inside your head and how you speak through your mouth. And our job is to use our mouth to speak kingdom truths that, that capture kingdom authority and set captives free. Get our thinking and our speaking to line up with the truth that is uh, in the kingdom of God. Now I want to focus on a different aspect of this passage. I want to focus on the fact that the Pharisee, and there were other leaders there because Jesus called them in the plural hypocrites, so there's more than one, but they were indignant, they were outraged that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. This is a motif that is central to the Gospels. It's not peripheral, it's central. The main opposition that Jesus faced in his ministry in building the kingdom was the religious establishment, religion. Wherever Jesus went, he was ticking off religious people. He, he was, in their eyes, an anarchist, a rule breaker, a promoter of chaos and immorality. That's how they viewed him. He didn't do anything right according to their religious rules. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. They had rules against that. He fed people and healed people on the Sabbath. They had rules against that. He touched unclean people that you weren't supposed to touch, like lepers. They had rules against that. Sometimes he dared to modify some of the Old Testament teachings. Uh, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you've heard it said unto you. But Jesus says, but I say unto you, never retaliate. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are saying, he's breaking one of our rules. Who does he think he is? Sometimes Jesus had the audacity to put himself in the position of God himself, uh, saying he was one with God. And they had major rules against that. At every turn, Jesus was confronting uh, the opposition of the religious establishment. It was his main, his main opposition. And I submit to you that today, the main opposition to the kingdom, the true kingdom of God, it's not debauchery, it's not immorality, though that certainly is not of God. But the main opposition, I submit to you, comes from religion. Now, to see this, we've got to get inside the head of this Pharisee. Why is this the case? And um, why, how could he have been mad? This guy who sincerely wants to please God, how could you get in a spot where you see this woman being set free from Satan's oppression, and rather than rejoice, you get mad? He broke one, she had broke one of the rules, he had broke one of the rules in calling her forward. And what it reveals is that this Pharisee, for this Pharisee and for other religious leaders, breaking rules trumps everything. Being right about the rules trumps everything. And it is to an outsider, as we're reading this, it looks insane. How could it get there? Jesus tries to reveal this insanity by first calling him hypocrites which is kind of a nasty word, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Why does Jesus use nasty words to confront these people? But then Jesus tries to expose this hypocrisy by saying this. Let me get this right. 
On Sabbath day, you're willing to untie your ox and donkeys to bring them to water. And that's okay. That, that, you don't have rules against that. But when I untie this woman from Satan's oppression and set her free, all of a sudden, I broke one of your rules. Do you see a problem here? What's wrong with this picture? It's good that you treat your animals kindly because that is commanded in the Bible. The, Bible, the, the, the animals get the Sabbath off too. Uh, so it's good that you treat your animals right, but how is it? What's wrong with your religion when you show more consideration to your ox and donkey than you dear, do to this dear woman? Something's wrong here. The idolatry of your rules is keeping you from seeing what God is doing right in front of your face. And religion always does that. Where you find religion, you'll find very frequently people who uh, miss what God is doing all around them. And where you find religion, you'll often find bizarre rules with bizarre priorities. I recently talked to a man who is a missionary in a, in a Muslim country. And um, he's with a team there. And this team, partly from uh, listening to podcasts of, of Wilden Hills Messages, uh, and partly through some other means, they've, they've sort of revamped how they do missions. Uh, they're preaching a, a little less, but they're doing a lot more service. And they just go out into the streets and, and love people and, and try to serve people. And one of the things they do is when they find somebody who's got an ailment or an infirmity, they say, would you like us to pray for you? Because they find that Muslims don't like to be preached at about Jesus, but they are willing to, to have you pray for them. And so these folks just try to serve them by praying for them and ministering to them. And they're seeing some people get healed in some pretty spectacular ways. And, uh, and some of these people are coming to Christ. Now, you think that a missions organization would be going, praise God, this is wonderful, this is what we're here for. But not this missionary, missionary organization. Uh, because, see, this missionary organization is not charismatic. And, and this isn't the way they do missions. And so this missionary and, and his team are finding themselves coming under the pressure of the missionary organization. In fact, he's finding himself being pushed out of this missionary organization. Why? Because they got a rule that says that healing doesn't happen today. So, so if healings are happening today, well, what they see is not God working and maybe the rules are wrong. What they see is something they got to crack down on. Where you find religion, you'll often find bizarre rules and bizarre behavior. How is that possible? Now, to understand it, we got to get on the inside of religion. And that's the main thing I want to do here this morning. Help us to understand the nature of religion. Now, a few little qualifiers. Um... First, I, I taught world religions uh, in a university for 16 years, and I've read uh, all of the major religious books, the, the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Book of Mormon, the Quran, the I Ching. I, 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 I've read those, uh, and I want to say that I find a lot of value in some of those books and a lot of truth in some of those books, and sometimes it's even inspiring. And so I don't want to say that everything about religion is evil. I'm not saying that. I also want to say that, that most people who practice religion, uh, I'll call them religionists, are sincere people. And God knows that, and God honors that. And so I'm not up here trying to say who's saved or who's not saved or anything of the sort. That's, God alone knows that, and, and he's in a position to judge that we're not. But I do want to say, as clear as I know how, that the heart of religion is antithetical to the kingdom and the main obstacle to the kingdom. Now, scholars debate the definition of religion all the time, and it's hard to find one definition that covers everything that somebody might call religious. So I'm not going to try to settle that dispute. But for our purposes, uh, I, I want to submit this definition. It doesn't cover everything, but it will work for this morning. 
Religion, I, I would define as a system of beliefs and behavior that people embrace to get okay with whatever picture of God or the gods they happen to believe in. They have a picture of God or the gods, and the, 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 the conviction is if we just believe these things, and if we just do these things, well, then the gods won't be mad at us, and maybe the gods will reward us. If I just believe these things and do these things, then I can be saved. Uh, then the gods will, will, will like me. And so the Pharisees here have a set of rules, and they believe if they just meticulously follow these rules and enforce these rules at all costs, well, then God will, will like them and, and I won't be mad at them. And many Christians have this religious mindset. If, if Christianity is mainly about believing these certain things here and doing these certain behaviors here and not doing these certain behaviors, and if we just do that, well, then God will like us. Then, then we'll be saved and we won't be punished. And maybe somebody's here saying, well, yeah, isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what Christianity is? What's wrong with that? And it's good to believe the right things and be involved in good behavior. But see, that mindset misses the heart of the kingdom. Because the heart of the kingdom isn't first and foremost about believing the right things and doing the right things. The heart of the kingdom is about being transformed by a new kind of life. It's the life of the eternal God flowing into us and flowing through us and changing us and then through us changing the world. It's about life. And if our mindset is the religious mindset, it keeps us from entering into real life. Now, to get us to see that, I'm going to use an analogy. Uh, most of you know what a sociopath is. Maybe you've known some sociopaths. Uh, a sociopath is somebody who, who uh, has an inability, for whatever reason, an inability to see the world from another person's perspective. Uh, an inability to enter into the feelings of another person. They, they, they don't have any ability to empathize. In fact, to a real sociopath, the only person is them. Uh, other people and every other thing is simply a prop. And uh, they learn how to manipulate the props and manipulate the world to meet their own needs. A, a, a true sociopath is like a narcissist on steroids. The universe centers around them. Other people aren't really even other people. Uh, the first uh, sociopath I ever really got to know was a young lady in a home. When I was in seminary, I worked in a juvenile delinquent center, and uh, this young lady, wonderful lady, could have been in a lot of ways, uh, but she was terribly abused as a kid, and one of the fallouts of that was that she was a sociopath. She had no ability to really feel emotions for another person. What was amazing, though, was this, and this is true of most sociopaths. The only reality they know is behavior. People are just a package of behaviors to them. And so they learn how to study behavior and how to parrot emotions. Um, and they become experts at that. And so this, this Carol... Uh, that I knew was able to, she just knew exactly what to say and what to do to make it look like she was actually feeling something for somebody if there was something in it for her. I saw her sometimes interact with other girls in this house that I was at uh, where they stayed. And when there was something she wanted from another girl, she could get in the box with her. She, she could, sometimes her eyes would tear up. Uh, she would look like she was so concerned and felt the other person's pain and, and all of that. But the minute she got what she wanted, boom, all done. In fact, in a few cases, she would mock the, the, the girl who actually was deluded into thinking that she really cared, and she'd laugh at her. Uh, it was a streak of cruelty that was, was, was incredible. But, but that is the nature of a, of a sociopath. They know behavior. They study behavior. 
And they can parrot emotions very, very good. Religion is a little bit like that. In fact, I think it's a lot like that. Follow this analogy. Let's suppose there's a guy who's a sociopath. Let's call him Bill. My apologies to all the Bills listening right now. <laughs> His name is Bill. And let's suppose that for some reason, somehow, a guy came to him and said, Bill, here's the deal. If you can convince a woman that you are a perfect husband for five years, you'll get $10 million. But if you don't convince her after five years, then you're going to be thrown into prison the rest of your life. Now, since the sociopath is a narcissist on steroids, Bill's going to be very motivated to convince a woman that he's a perfect husband for five years. So what Bill will do, and this is what sociopaths are good at, he'll study behavior. Uh, he'll, he'll study what do, good, what do guys do who are good at getting women to marry them. And he'll study the behavior. He'll know what to say. He'll know what to do. And then he'll study what good husbands do to their, uh, with their wives. He'll read books. He'll watch movies, whatever it takes, to learn the behavior of a good husband. And so he'll go out and successfully get a woman, and then he'll start being married to her. And he'll, he'll say all the right things. He'll do all the right things. He knows exactly when to lower his voice and, 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 and sound concerned. And you put your, your hand on her shoulder when, to let her know that you, you really understand. And, 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 and when she's sick, you, you bring her breakfast in bed. And, and, and he knows exactly what to say and exactly what to do to come across as a perfect husband. Uh, he, he's got it all down perfect. But because he's a sociopath, there's nothing genuine about it. There's no genuine love there for this other person. The thing about Bill, since he's a sociopath, he doesn't know that this isn't genuine. He's never felt the real thing. To him, love means acting a certain way. Compassion means acting a certain way. That's all he knows. Since he's an expert on behavior, studies behavior, he becomes a trained judge of other husbands' behavior. He notices when other people aren't doing exactly the right thing. He's the expert. He maybe gets angry when other husbands don't exactly say it right and do it right. He becomes an expert judge. If he was politically inclined, he might even try to pass laws in Congress about husbands being good husbands and they need to say the right thing. We need a law. He'd lobby Congress to try to pass a law that husbands need to, when they're showing compassion, put their hand on their wife's shoulder and, and look concerned and lower their voice. And when their wives are sick, you've got to bring them breakfast in bed and, and you've got to greet them warmly in the morning. We need laws about this. But see, to healthy people looking in on this, they'll say, that's profoundly sick. Because obeying laws doesn't make you a good husband. And if you are a good husband, you don't need the laws. It's sick. But to Bill, since the only reality he knows is behavior, it makes perfect sense. And so we need to control behavior. That's Bill's world. Now the question is this, would Bill's wife be convinced after five years that he was a good, even a perfect husband? Maybe at first... I mean, it'd be really nice to have a guy who says all the right things, always picks up his dirty clothes, never any dirty underwear hanging around, always considered, always kind. But I submit to you that after a while, she'd begin to pick up on something. Something's wrong here. Something's missing here. It's too scripted. It's too perfect. It's too predictable. There's not enough spontaneity or playfulness or human fallibility. It's... it's, it's there's a sense of life and a sense of genuine love that's missing here. His eyes don't really communicate love. And even though he parrots voice intonation so well with his voice, there's something missing there. She began to sense that. And I submit to you that even though she wouldn't know about the $10 million reward or the threat of prison, after some time, Bill's wife, if she's healthy, would begin to suspect that Bill's relationship with her isn't a real relationship. It's really all about him. 
He lives in the question, how am I doing? How am I performing? It really is all about him. On the outside, Bill would look great, but in reality, he's profoundly sick. And his wife would begin to pick up on that if she is at all healthy. In fact, Bill is, for all of his appearances, and actually because of his appearances, he's actually much farther from being a good husband than the guy next door who isn't particularly good at being a husband, but he does genuinely love his wife. His behavior and his words are simply a cloak for how far he is from actually being a good husband because a good husband loves. And over time, I think, uh, Bill's wife would begin to want a husband like the guy next door. I'd rather have the husband who leaves the, his dirty underwear around once in a while and who sometimes isn't all that considerate and, and, and you know, does it imperfectly, perfect, doesn't do things perfectly and flatulates in bed. I'd rather have the imperfect husband <laughs> who genuinely loves me than this perfect scripted play actor that I have here. Religion is kind of like that. Religion, I, I submit to you, is a, is a form of sociopathology toward God. And here's how it comes about. We are a fallen race of people, and in this fallen condition, none, all of us are to some degree sociopathological towards God. Um, we have a social pathology. We don't naturally experience on the inside love for God. We don't experience reception, coming, love coming from God. We don't naturally overflow with love towards other people. We're in a fallen state. But all people do have, as part of our being made in the image of God, an awareness of God on some level, a vague sense of transcendence, that God or the gods are out there. And we have a sense that we're not right with God. Everybody does. We're out of sync with whatever is transcendent. And that creates a sense of fear and a sense of dread. So what happens is somebody comes along and finds a way to get rid of the fear. Somehow, some way, they hit upon this idea that if I just believe certain things, and if I just engage in certain behaviors, well, then we'll get the gods to like us. The gods won't be mad at us anymore. Uh, the, if we just get the gods to like us, there's this $10 million prize we'll get, and we'll avoid being thrown into prison. Whatever the beliefs are or whatever the behaviors are depends on the religion. In fact, whatever uh, the $10 million is depends on the religion. In some religions, the reward is, is a good afterlife. In other religions, the reward is a better, you know, better reincarnation. In some religions, the more primitive religions, it's just getting a good crop this year. In, in others, it's, it's just not getting zapped with another tidal wave or an earthquake. We've got to keep the gods happy. And, if we, and so people come to the conclusion that if we just believe these things and do these things, we'll keep the gods happy and they won't be punishing us. And they'll do whatever it takes, offering up their firstborn child if necessary. And a lot of religions have done that to placate the gods' wrath and to try to get some favor on the part of the gods. And then religion is born. Now, since religionists are focused on the rightness of their beliefs and their behavior, they become expert judges at other people's beliefs and behavior. They get life from contrasting themselves with those who have wrong beliefs and wrong behaviors because it reconfirms that they're special people before God or the gods. Some religionists would even go on campaigns about this, uh, trying to pass laws to control other people's sinful behavior. It's always other people's sinful, sinful behavior they go at, not their own sinful behavior, because they're just very sure that their sins are minor and other people's sins are major. Uh, but in the name of the gods or their god, they go after this and try to control other people's behavior. And those who are healthy look at that from the outside and they go, that is sick. First of all, it's hypocritical because you guys aren't better than we are, but it's also sick because passing laws doesn't make someone love God, and if they do love God, they don't need the laws. 
But to the religionists, everything's about behavior, and so you've got to control the behavior. You fix the world by fixing behavior. Religionists may look, according to some criteria, good on the outside. But if you hang a lot wrong with religionists very long, you get the sense, like, like Bill's wife would have got, that there's something wrong here. There's something missing here. It feels too scripted. It feels too predictable. It doesn't feel authentic. There's not enough humanness and fallibility here. Uh, there's a lack of spontaneity and playfulness and carefreeness. There's a lack of life. Yeah, on some level, it looks good. In fact, it looks too good. There's a lack of life that's going on, on here. And some of us who have been in the religious system and have kind of grown out of it, as you begin to get healthy, you begin to discover that it really isn't about God at all. They use God language all the time, and they'll say it's about God, it's about God, it's about God. But at the core of everything in religion, it's really about us. We're trying to save our butts. We're trying to get the $10 million prize. We're trying to avoid being thrown into prison. Religion is really profoundly self-centered. It's narcissism on steroids with an eternal vengeance to boot. And that is why religion can often be bizarre and cruel. Look, if part of my pleasing the gods and part of my being saved is I, I, I go by these rules, and one of the rules is we don't heal people on the Sabbath, then if you heal someone on the Sabbath, I don't care if she got free from Satan himself, I got to crack down on you because my neck's on the line. You broke one of my rules. And I don't care if there's a bunch of Muslims getting healed and, and getting saved. You, you're breaking one of our rules and our neck's on the line. We got to keep our version of God happy, so we got to crack down on you. In religion... Rules trump love for others. Rules trumps all things. And for that reason, religion is pathological. The danger is this, so long, so long as a person, so long as it's working for the person, it's impossible or nearly impossible to get them to see this. They don't know what they don't know. If, you know, Bill didn't know that he didn't have real love. How would you get Bill to realize that? You don't know what you don't know. If you've never experienced the, 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 the life and the transformation that comes from the kingdom, if all you've ever known is doing the behavior and getting the right beliefs, well then, then how do you wake a person up from that? Religionists are sincere. I think these Pharisees were sincere. And God honors that. But the scary thing about religion, and this is what we got to hear, the scary thing about religion Precisely because you don't know what you don't know, if the religion's working for you, it keeps you farther from the kingdom than the worst form of debauchery. Which is why Jesus said things like this. Truly I tell you, he said it to the Pharisees, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are the two lowest forms of life in the Pharisees' worldview. But Jesus says they're going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Why? Because these folks know that they got nothing going for them. These folks can only rely on the mercy of God. These folks aren't getting life from any kind of idolatry. It stopped working for them. Uh, people who are sick know they need a physician, and that's the advantage of knowing that you're sick. But what, I, what Jesus worries about are those who think they don't need a physician. They think they're okay. You're far worse off than the ones who look obviously sick, precisely because you are heavily invested in not looking sick. You use your sickness to keep up a facade of healthy appearances, and that keeps you farther from the kingdom than the tax collectors and the Pharisees. And that is why Jesus, I used to wonder, like, you know, Jesus is love, right? He manifests love. But why does he speak so mean 
to these religious people. I mean, call them vipers. You vipers. You, you, you hypocrites, blind leaders of the blind. It's like, ooh, you're not very nice. And he wasn't nice. But that's because he was loving and he wants to reach these people. I think you got to hear Jesus saying those things with compassion in his eyes. You vipers, you hypocrites. He's trying to shock them into a completely different paradigm. He's trying to wake them up to the, to the sickness that they're in the grips of. He's purposely going out of his way to offend them. Jesus could have healed this woman on some other day of the week, but he chose the Sabbath. Why? I think he wanted to tick the Pharisees and the Sadducees off because he loves them. And if you don't offend these people, there's no hope of them ever breaking out of the bondage of the religious system. And so Jesus, out of love, speaks very, very uh, harshly to them. He was trying to get them to see and trying to get any today who need to see it that the kingdom is not a religion. The kingdom is not any religion. The kingdom is not even the Christian religion. The kingdom is opposed to religion. The kingdom is the opposite of religion. The kingdom is antithetical to religion. Religion is all about what you think you're doing for God. But the kingdom is centered on what God has done and is doing for you. The kingdom of God is about... It's antithetical. It's opposite. The kingdom of God is about trying to avoid being punished and winning the $10 million prize. But, or, or the religion is about trying to avoid being punished and winning the $10 million prize. But see, the kingdom is about proclaiming the truth that the $10 million prize is actually a $20 trillion prize, and it's God himself. And you can't earn God, you can't achieve God, you can't merit God. But that's okay, because God has given you himself. He's given you the prize in Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God is simply about trusting in that. You're not trying to achieve God. God has achieved you. He's given himself to you on, in Calvary. And religion is all based on trying to impress God with your behavior and your beliefs. But the kingdom of God is about how God impresses you and how God transforms us with his behavior. In the kingdom, it's not about you. It's never about you. It's all about God. And see, if we believe that, if we trust in the goodness and the graciousness and the beauty of the God revealed on Calvary, that's got the power to set the captives free. It's got the power to set you free from the pathological narcissism of religion. It's got the power to set you free from that narcissistic self-centeredness that comes from perpetually worrying about how am I doing? Uh, am I doing enough? It has the power to set you free from the diabolical bondage of external motivation. It has the power to set you free to learn how to live God with a motivation of love rather than the external stuff. Well, you love God just because he's God and he's beautiful and he's good and he's gracious. You learn to do life with an entirely different set of motivation. Religion is always focused on getting life and your worth and your identity and your security from your beliefs and your behavior. And that's why it's always about judging other people. It always, religion always involves judging others. But the kingdom is centered on getting life, as we sang earlier this morning, getting life from Christ alone. All of our worth, all of our identity, all of our security from Christ alone. And, and when we get that, when our life and everything is found in Christ alone, it frees us from the need to chase after religious idols or any other idols. It frees us from the need to try to get life from the rightness of our beliefs and the rightness of our behavior. We still strive to have right beliefs and still strive to have right behavior, but we don't do it to get life. We do it to express the life, that the kingdom life that he's already given us for free. And that means we're freed from the need to go around judging people. You no longer need to be mad at people all the time. You need, no longer need to be uh, trying to control people and trying to fix people. 
Rather, it frees you to now just be able to love people and to serve people and to agree with God that every person you see has unsurpassable worth because Jesus Christ died for them. And you trust that God's working in their life just like he's working in your life. And if God opens the door for you to impact them, wonderful, and they'll also impact you. But our job is to walk in that mindset. Let God fix the world. Our job is just to be Calvary towards other people. Because the truth. Amen. God isn't interested in acquiring a pathological bride who knows how to say all the right things and do all the right things and is obsessed with that. God's not interested in that bride. God wants a bride who really knows on the inside what it is to love him, what it is to see him in all of his beauty and to receive that as her only source of life and to manifest that back to God and to other people. God wants a bride who walks in and experiences the fire of his passionate love. He wants a bride who's been freed from the pathological self-centeredness of religion. A, br a bride who maybe doesn't always look perfect. Sometimes she falls flat on her face. Sometimes she really does it wrong. But this bride at least has got a fire in her soul towards God. A, a desire to, to live for God and, and to serve God and to dance with God. He wants a bride who knows how to live on the edge and stop playing it safe like religion always does. A bride who knows how to be bold and knows how to take risks and there's a playfulness and a spontaneity and a carefreeness that comes from, 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 from walking with God and you're trusting God so even if things aren't going well and even if you die, it really doesn't matter because you know that this, this, this dance goes on forever and ever and ever. That's the kind of bride he's looking for. A bride who's radiant in her beauty, not meticulous in her self-centered rule-keeping. He wants a bride who knows and experiences and is transformed by true life. And therefore, never puts, God, never puts rules before God and before people because this bride understands that it's about life. And so the rules are there for people uh, and to serve God. A bride who never falls into the Pharisee religion thing. Now, when, when, whenever I talk on this topic at, at all, or I wrote a book on this called Repenting of Religion, if you want to go further with this. And what, in response to that book, in response to messages like this, it's pretty predictable what, the, what, what, what people will say and what their worry is. I get this quite a bit. The, the worry is this. Look, at, if you take away the promise of 10 million and the threat of prison uh, and, and take away the external motivation, well, then people are just going to become religious couch potatoes. They're going to say, oh, well, since we're loved for free, then let's just do what we want. We don't have to buck the American dream. We can just fit in with the system, have our wonderful life now and, and have it later on, and we don't have to change it all. In fact, some people, if they take away, you take away the external motivation, they'll say, wow, wonderful. God just loves to forgive us, and we love to sin, so let's just keep on sinning that God's grace may abound. What a great deal. So we need that, you know, if you want the, the rat to get through the maze, you've got to offer them the cheese. <laughs> uh, you know, that way of thinking is, is pathological. Uh, it, it, that is the exact same worry that the Pharisees had towards Jesus. He's an anarchist. It's going to go crazy. If we don't have the rules and the control and the fear and the threats, and, well, then people are just going to do whatever they want. And so they viewed Jesus as an anarchist. Okay, look, it, it, it's a form of religious pathology to be worried about that. Here's why. If you went to Bill, this guy went to Bill who offered him the $10 million, and he says, look, it deal's off. Uh, I'm not going to give you $10 million if you are a perfect husband, and I won't throw you into prison if you're not a perfect husband, so all bets are off. What's Bill going to do? He'll quit. Oh, forget it. I'm not, then I'm out of here. Because he's got nothing else going for him. And so he, this, this isn't what he naturally wants to do, so he'll be gone. Boom. But is Bill worse off for that reason? Because he got out of this marriage? 
I don't think so. I think that actually that's a positive thing because now at least it's clear who Bill is, what Bill is. You've taken away the facade of the perfect husband and you're now exposing the truth that this guy is pathological and maybe that opens the door that possibly somehow, some way, someday, he'll actually get a physician and maybe get a little bit of help. So also, it's true that when you take away the external stuff, there are people who just sit back, become couch potatoes. They, 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 you know, fine, let's go along with the American dream and do what we want and blah, 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 blah. And there are people who completely blow up and become immoral. Oh, we're saved by grace. That means we can do anything we want. I'm trading in this wife for a new version and, and leaving my family and, hey, you can't judge me because it's all about God's grace. If people do that. I've seen it done. And it's gross. It's diabolically gross and ugly and ungodly. So, I, all it reveals is what is real. We haven't created a new reality. We've just pulled the cloak off of a reality. Now it's clear where this person's heart was. Okay, this, and, and, and now perhaps it looks ugly, but it's got to look ugly if you're ever going to feel the need for a physician. Unless you can see that you're sick. We don't do sick people any favors by training them and motivating them to act like they're not sick. You know, cover it all up, polish it all up, look like a Pharisee and we'll say it's okay. No, you're sicker for that reason. That's pathological. And so, yeah, people are going to explode. They're, they're going to explode and, and all of that. And it's gross. But that's closer to the kingdom, not farther. Now, if you're really, really invested in pathological religion, everything's about behavior, so this is the worst thing you can imagine. It's not going to look good anymore. But if you're a kingdom person... That's a step forward. Oh, good. It's nice and ugly, the way it really was. We got rid of all this pretending and all this cloak. And, and, and he, one last thing. One last thing. If somehow Bill could ever get healed from his social pathology, Bill would become, he could at least have the potential of becoming a real husband. He couldn't get it as long as the, 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 the external motivation's working for him. And if Bill could ever find out what it is to really love and care about another person, Bill would do things he never would do with the external motivation. Uh, with the external motivation, you do the minimum. Okay, well, what's the minimum I got to do in order to uh, get the carrot at the end of the stick and avoid the punishment? And you do the minimum. It's always minimalistic. Religion always has a minimalistic attitude. But see, if a person gets the real love of God in their life, uh, man, it, it, there's no ceiling on that. Uh, when, when a person gets the fire of God in their soul, when they begin to see the beauty of who God is and the beauty of what God's done for them and the freedom of life that comes inside of them, they'll do stuff that people who are motivated by external means and threats and rewards will, will never do. Uh, they'll, they'll, these are folks who will really swim upstream uh, in the culture. These are, these are folks who will get crazy and abandon life uh, for the sake of the kingdom. These are folks who got a fire in their soul towards God. And, and there's no ceiling. Love has no ceiling, no upper limit on what you'll do to express the love that is there. Religion's always minimalist, but the kingdom always goes to the extreme because love is extreme. God is extreme in his love towards us. And when that reality gets in there, you'll find folks who fight sin like never before, folks who live for God like never before, folks who, who change and alter their life for the kingdom like never before. But to get there, we've got to die to religion. And so I want to end with two questions here. The first question is this. Is there anyone in this auditorium or listening by any other means who maybe you have been turned off to Jesus because of religion? And I want you to know that I got that. I so got that. You've seen the church. You've seen Christians, blah, 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 and you just are grossed out by it. Gotcha. But can you see now, perhaps, 
that following Jesus isn't about religion. It's about coming under the reign of God, the kingdom, and the kingdom is not a religion. Uh, it's about entering into a new kind of life that will transform you from the inside out in ways that you can't imagine if you'll simply open your life up to him. And the way to enter that kingdom is to surrender. Die to doing your own thing and commit to living for God. Now, you may don't have any idea what that looks like. That's fine. But it starts with, with a, a heart surrender. And then you walk in a different way. And if you're here this morning or listening in any other way and that's on your heart, just right where you're at, surrender. There's no magic to this. You just say, you know what? I'm going to turn my, my, the, driver, the, the driving wheel of my life over to Jesus Christ. And if you're in this congregation this morning and you're doing that, I want to encourage you. In fact, I implore you at the end of the service to come up here and talk to some of the folks that will be around this altar because that decision is utterly, utterly, utterly meaningless unless it starts to have consequences in how you actually live. And these folks will tell you how to begin to walk in a different way uh, where you're surrendered to Jesus Christ. Secondly, very briefly, I want us to entertain this question. Why do we do what we do? Why am I up here talking to you? What's my motivation? Why are you here listening to me? What's your motivation? Why do you live this way instead of that way? And I ask that, and Holy Spirit help us to be honest with ourselves right now, because that, has, that question has a way of flushing out any residue of religion we might have. If you've been raised in religion or been infected with religion, religion is a transmitted disease. If you've been contacted with it, it's sometimes hard to get free of. It's sometimes hard to get free of, and you find yourself falling into that. And, and it, it squelches the joy and the freedom and the liberty and the transformation of the kingdom. Why do you do what you do? And this isn't about a shaming thing or an indictment thing. That's a religious thing. No, this is about a kingdom thing. And just to acknowledge, if you find that your motivation isn't as it was for Paul, 2 Corinthians, the love of Christ compels us. If that's not your motivation, then this is what needs to happen. You die to the religion thing, and you just ask God to show you more clearly his beauty and his love and his grace and his mercy to win more of your heart over so that your reasons for doing the right thing are the right reasons. And that is because the life of God is flowing into you and flowing through you. Stand with me here as I close in this prayer. I want to ask the prayer team to come forward. They're opened. If you want to have any prayer for any reason, or if you surrendered your life to the king this morning, come forward and talk to them about that. But Lord, we pray that we go out of here with a freedom, not to do as we please, but a freedom to do as you please. Uh, Lord, we pray that your life, that transforming life, and joy and peace and power of the kingdom would be flowing into us and out of us. We pray, Lord God, that the chains of religion would be broken in our life and that we could go out as a bride who genuinely loves her heavenly groom and dances with her heavenly groom and is passionate about her heavenly groom and is learning how to do life uh, in league and in, in sync with her heavenly groom who has the joyfulness, the playfulness, the spontaneity and the freedom of a bride who's been truly set free from religion. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Be free. Go out and build the kingdom.